0: Welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast, the show that brings leading minds from the energy industry to discuss the challenges and trends that are transforming and modernizing our energy system. And a quick thank you to Wes Monroe, our sponsor of today's show. Now, let's talk energy. I'm Jason Price, Energy Central podcast host and director with West Monroe, coming to you from New York City. And with me, as always, from Orlando, Florida, is Energy Central producer and community manager, Matt Chester. If there's one main theme constant in the utility sector, it would probably be grid reliability. So Matt, how about a brief overview on the topic of grid reliability?
1: Sure, Jason. The, the headlines have come over and over in the past few months and, and have really painted the picture. From fuel shortages in Europe to extreme heat in Texas, threats of wildfires and other disasters looking to interrupt the grid, customers are more conscious than ever that flipping on the light switch isn't necessarily automatic when something might go wrong. That said, utilities, grid operators, regulators, and really all stakeholders all the way through the chain have put reliability at the top of their list of priorities. But the utility sector is also changing so rapidly that it's a, it's a constant game of playing catch up
0: that's helpful, Matt. But rather than always playing catch up, our guest today is looking to take a leading position and looking more forward in some unique ways. We're being joined today by Jeff Ciphers, the CEO of Sonoma Clean Power. Jeff has held this role for nearly a decade running the default public power provider for Sonoma and Mendocino counties in California. As CEO, Jeff has championed the parallel goals of pushing towards a 100% renewable grid 24-7, but also recognizing the challenges that this creates in the world of reliability. He doesn't think you have to sacrifice one to achieve the other, and so we're eager to pick his brain on these topics. Jeff, thanks so much for being here, and welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jason. So, Jeff, let's just jump in. So, in California, we've heard so much this past summer about the constrained grid, especially during afternoons and evenings during the hottest portion of the year. We've had guests talk about spare margin and the risk we face by hastily shutting down and not adequately replacing our generation. But it seems like everyone is working hard to address this head on. But provocatively, you know that you are not working on it. So, my first question to you is why not? And what are you doing differently?
1: Well, obviously, there's a lot of work to do to solve summer reliability, but I think my point is, we know how to solve that problem. So solar with batteries is really going to go a long way to addressing the evening peaks that happen after sunset. And so just this last summer, we dispatched several thousand megawatts of battery storage, and that is way, way up over the year before. And just like everyone else, Sonoma Clean Power is constructing a lot of those resources as well to contribute to those solutions. And I think my point is though, because the solution for summer reliability is in motion, I'm really entirely focused on working on the next major reliability problem because we don't have much time to solve it. And if you think about the direction California and frankly the world is going with more and more solar, more batteries, more wind, and trying to shut down our fossil gas peakers and you add on to the fact that our new peak uh, load is going to shift into the winter at nighttime for california in just five to ten years because all those batteries offsetting the summer peak and because of using heat pumps to transition away from fossil methane gas for heating we're going to see a winter peak And solar with batteries doesn't work so great in the winter because solar, when it's dark for three weeks, can't charge the batteries. And the batteries might only last four, six, eight hours. They're really not going to run through those long winter periods. So what I'm working on is winter reliability and especially the nighttime. And that's going to take a lot longer to solve than summer reliability. And we need to work on it now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is also a national trend by the way. I mean, we're seeing this also on the East Coast. So you're looking to leapfrog to the next challenge, which is really, you know, along the lines of winter reliability as you describe it. So talk, let's talk a bit further about winter reliability and how is this different than summer or any reliability and what are you seeing
1: happening now that we're in the given that we're in the winter season in the United States? So it's those long periods with low solar output that makes winter reliability such a tricky problem and historically California hasn't invested much in the last several decades in baseload mm-hmm. renewables, but that's the part that's going to have to change. So things like offshore wind and geothermal are going to have to scale up, and pretty quickly, those are complex construction projects that require transmission and, and a lot of resources. And so other resources like biomass, biogas, long-duration storage, they're probably going to play a part. But the majority of solving the winter problem, at least here, looks to be offshore wind and geothermal. And so, you know, if we don't tackle those issues now, core question, we'll forever be extending the operation of the dirtiest gas power plants. Because that's our that's our backup, right? So we just extended our one nuclear power plant for five years. And we are continually extending, including exempting environmental review, <laughs> the operation of gas peaker plants. And so Given that that's not so great for air quality or the climate or, frankly, social justice, because a lot of those are in neighborhoods, it's a pretty core objective of ours to go after geothermal and offshore
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you kind of answered my next question, which is really around uh, what are some of the solutions you're looking at? So if you could perhaps maybe elaborate on the process and then what's the feedback been like from your customers?
1: Yeah, so we're really – narrowly focused on geothermal development because we have the world's largest resource in our territory. So obviously we need to be working on that. So before I get into that though, we are watching efforts in Humboldt County just to our north to construct four and a half gigawatts of offshore wind up there. And we're you know working to partner with them to ultimately have some offtake agreements to make those projects economic. But back to geothermal our goal is to construct, to essentially double the amount of geothermal coming from the geysers complex area and around it without adding much new water requirements. And that's one of the, the really complex parts about geothermal is, you know, how much water needs do we have in the start West? So one of the things we did to solve that is we launched a partnership and we call it the Geothermal Opportunity Zone. And so it's a public-private partnership where we've got uh, private companies working with two counties, Sonoma and Mendocino counties, to explore and find opportunities for extremely low water or even zero water geothermal power. An example of this mm-hmm. is Ever. It's a Canadian company, and they have a technology called Advanced Closed Loop. And what it does is they actually drill two wells, and far underground, sometimes more than a couple miles underground, those wells meet at a point. And so you have an injection well and a steam collection well, but you're able to collect all the steam, condense it, and re-inject it. So you have essentially a closed-loop system instead of uh, needing lots of water. And there's another company called Cirque, and they do something pretty cool. Uh, They have what they call a box of rocks, where they take the geothermal steam at the solar hours when you don't need the power. And they use that steam to heat up their box of rocks on the surface, which is essentially shipping containers full of sand and rocks. And then they use that heat during the peak hours when you want the power to superheat the steam and increase the output. So solutions like that that don't add new water needs are really what we're looking for. But I don't want to overlook the fact that solving this big problem also includes going way back to basics like low-income housing retrofits and building insulation and anything that cuts heating needs in particular and lighting is going to be a big value. So I want to go back to the um,
0: winter reliability for a moment. You know, i mentioned that, you know, since you're in California and I'm in New York, these are somewhat progressive States. And we're, I think in the, on the coast, we're both talking about uh, the future winter load, but how do you feel about the industry at large and your peers? Are we taking this winter reliability, winter load Future seriously, are we are we talking about it enough? Or just what are you seeing across the industry or with your peers around this entire shift and transformation that the industry is going to be, you know, facing the next in the near future? I would imagine, given the given the shift in the load and EV and so sort of like the the drive and, and electrification of everything.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you watch the difference in electric and, and gas rates, commodity gas rates between you know the rest of the United States and California recently, but. Suddenly, that conversation is getting easier, and it's getting easier because our marginal cost of both gas and and spot market electricity went through the roof in December, and it's sustaining through January, and we expect it to go into February, like, like seven times normal. And the fact that winter is far more expensive to serve than last summer is suddenly getting people to start talking about this, even though it's for a completely different reason but people are still surprised when we start these conversations to learn that the solutions to our upcoming winter reliability problem also solve all of the summer reliability problem in, in fact you know ideally we could wind the clock back and develop offshore wind and geothermal you know a decade ago because that would solve both problems without devaluing all the batteries which is about what we're going to do so we're going to construct a massive amount of batteries and then within a decade, they're going to be hugely devalued as soon as we get all the baseload renewables online. And so I think it's it's not the most efficient way to go about it, but we kind of have to do that. So I think it's, it's the realization, though, that the baseload resources are going to be super critical that's helping us get early attention into, into thinking about how CAISO and the regulators can accelerate transmission planning. And that's really one of the core timelines that we have to hit. Oftentimes it can take four to six years to get approval to connect to the transmission grid. And that's probably gonna be too long. We're probably gonna need to rethink how the queue process works, how, how projects you know, feed into transmission planning. And for these big geothermal and offshore wind projects um, and probably long-term storage, you know, they're gonna need new lines, most likely.
0: That's helpful. Thank you. So, share with us for those who are not familiar with Sonoma Clean Power. You know, what are some other challenges that you're facing? What are you doing about it? And just you know, share some of the maybe successes that you've overcome, either short term or or near term.
1: You talking about with power supply, or are you talking about general?
0: You know, I'll leave it to you. I would love to hear more about you know mm-hmm. anything with power supply, whether it's uh, solar and storage, or you know, it could be something that's more general. I'll leave it to you to, to answer that.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we're working on is trying to think about the load side of this problem. So obviously we need to supply power when customers need it, but utilities are actually pretty influential in policy and in technology adoption when it comes to affecting how big loads are and where they occur and when. And the when is really becoming the key question. It used to be when when everything was served by coal and gas, You could just ramp those plants up and down pretty easily to meet whatever load appeared whenever it occurred, but the grid's kind of upside down. So it used to be we forecasted load and we dispatched supply. That's flipping. So we're now forecasting supply because it's renewable and it happens when the sun shines and the wind blows and we're dispatching load. And so... One of the things we're doing to make that work is we're shifting our thinking about electric cars. So before we were just promoting electric cars flat out because of their ability to cut emissions and to really help us you know, just decarbonize the system and shift over to cleaner electricity. Now what we're doing is, is thinking about when they're charging more. We we were giving away and we've given away several thousand free home chargers and that was very popular, but it was kind of encouraging charging at home at night and the rate structures still kind of encourage that. But what we're learning is it would be vastly better for the grid if electric cars were charging during solar hours, except in the two hottest months of the year. So if we can have places where people can charge at work, that strongly encourages charging between about oh, 11 a.m and 3 p.m those kind of hours we can actually have a dispatchable resource because if you have a parking lot full of chargers you can have a single transformer with a controller on it that you can ramp up and down or just shut off during a flex alert or you can also just by accident you know have solar coincident charging when the grid has plenty of capacity So we're really focused on workplace charging right now, and it's a new frontier because there hasn't been a lot of effort on trying to shift the bulk of charging to work. Most people still do most of their charging at home. So that's going to be a big experiment and uh, one of the things we're working on.
0: Interesting. All right, you know, you're in the C-suite. So for our listeners, share with us, what is the process you go through from from a planning standpoint? You know, you've got a lot of short-term and long-term Needs You've got a lot of fires to put out. And I mean that both literally and figuratively, being in California. So, you know, share with us, if you can, a little bit of um, how you approach the planning and the position that you're in.
1: We actually have several different planning teams. The core team, we call planning and analytics, and they're in-house and they study our sources and loads and constantly are working toward achieving a better match between sources and loads. But they have to integrate their work with our programs team that is largely responsible for dispatching all our demand response programs and our virtual power plants. And they also have to really integrate with our procurement team on what resources we're buying and when, and also statistically how many of those resources are actually going to come online. And then we also have a risk team that looks at how we're addressing all kinds of different situations related to how fully procured are we and how exposed to the market are we. So that all those things integrate. We obviously be planning on the, the integrated resource plan cycle, which is typically looking out about 10 years. Depends on what you're looking at. Sometimes we do a 20 year look, but often we're finding that in today's fast moving market, 10 is about as long as is useful. And so last year, one of the big things we, we did is we made the strategic decision to base all our procurement on the true CAISO system-wide hourly impacts on carbon instead of our the state's current regulatory system, which essentially credits utilities for putting renewable energy onto the grid, whether or not it reduces emissions. And let me explain that. So if you're putting solar onto the grid when all of the thermal units are running at minimum, then you're offsetting other solar. You're you're essentially curtailing other solar or you're being curtailed. And so what we're trying to do is look at what's actually happening on the grid every hour, what we're putting onto the grid and taking the emissions value of that. So it definitely forces us to design both our short and long-term portfolio very differently. And it really changed our perspective about resource types. We went into the exercise thinking we were going to go really giant on short-term storage for all the reasons that everybody else did, which is summer reliability. And we came out of it trying to figure out how to just enough short-term storage. This is the four-hour battery types. And the reason is, by the time we've finished out our 2030 development of geothermal, we're going to not need most of the storage we thought we were going to need. And so that was an important realization. So, you know, to not overconstruct and and essentially get into long-term costs for customers that we can't utilize. So that's one example of how we plan.
0: That's great. And Jeff, you know, I really appreciate the insight you you bring. It's always fun and interesting to hear what the smaller providers are doing too, the the innovation and the thinking and the planning. So thank you so much for sharing your insight. Uh, I want to give you the final word, but now have what's called our lightning round which is just a, a series of questions uh, that call for a one-word phrase or uh, answer. And it's basically to help us learn more about you, the person, rather than you, the professional. So, are you ready? All right. Sure. Okay. Is there a favorite app that you can't live without?
1: Okay. I bird because I'm a birder, so I, I have to look at birds a lot and figure out what I'm looking at.
0: <laughs> okay. What is your favorite holiday? Um i think Passover. What fictional character would you love to
1: invite to a dinner party you're hosting? Hmm. Can I do one that's fictional wise, but based on a real person? Go for it. All right. Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what
0: would be an alternative career path if you hadn't found yourself in the energy industry?
1: Oh, that one's easy. When I was in high school I was really wrestling with being a physicist or a machinist so machinist. I absolutely love using a mill. It's one of my favorite tools. So okay. And what are you most passionate about? About anything? <laughs> uh hmm. the Asian board game called Go.
0: Oh, interesting. Big strategy guy, I guess. I'm okay. Proud. Nice going. So nice job navigating through the lightning round. And I said, I'll give you the the final word. So you're speaking to your peers in the industry. What uh, final word or message would you like our audience to take away from this conversation today?
1: I think that we know how to completely end our use of fossil fuels worldwide. I think we need to do it. And I think that's where the challenge is. You know, do we have the courage to have the hard conversations about what's in our way? because sometimes it's ourselves, sometimes it's our own objectives are kind of misguided or our environmental laws are blocking the best environmental solution or you know, things like that. We, we need to examine all that and, and uh, make sure we've got the courage to unpack this problem and then move quick.
0: That's great. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. And thank you again to you and your team for helping put this together. I, you know, this, this conversation is long overdue. And I'm sure our audience is going to appreciate uh, all the message that you've shared today. And I encourage them to leave questions and comments. So until then though, thanks again for sharing your insight with us on today's episode of the podcast, Jeff. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. And you can always reach Jeff through the energy central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. We also want to give a shout out of thanks to the podcast sponsors that made today's episode possible. Thanks to West Monroe. West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric gas and water utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility, operations, and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, customer experience, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. And once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com and we'll see you next time. Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast.